Hello world. This is Chris Abalo's podcast experiment and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to the show and today I'm joined by usual cohort, longtime cohort by the way, Andrew Rizzatello. Hello world. Man. This is Andrew Rizzatello. Wait, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> and I'm at home. In and bed. I'm not near Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Hiding from my wife and daughter. And joining yes. us today <laughs> is longtime Cape co-host and panelist and everything else. Welcome back to the show, Miss Sherry Bass. Why, hello. <laughs> I am close to you. I'm literally in the next room. Yeah, you're on the other side of the apartment. <laughs> Are we, is this going to be a talk like a game show host night? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, idea I, number one. I, this I, is what I have. I just do that to be goofy at the top of the show. Like I don't, I don't actually want to talk that way for a whole hour. No, like me, me personally, it I don't does, think anyone else. Tiring. What's that? It does get tiring. It does. Well, that's why it's it's funny to do it. It's funny to do that kind of caricature at the top. That's just kind of inadvertently become the the opening to the show. But everybody has one. So that's and just thought, no. <laughs> You're doing great. Thank you very much. <laughs> So considering I've talked to these two probably the most on any and all podcasts uh, when it comes to music, I've had uh, discussions with the two of these people the most. I figured uh, why not do it again? Because Sherry and I were at home last week talking about some of my, let's say, controversial music opinions. Uh, one in particular, which kind of kicked off this the, the whole subject of, oh, this could actually be a music discussion for the show and something I thought Andrew would particularly be interested in. Now, one of my unpopular opinions, just to kind of get the ball rolling, is back when Jimi Hendrix died. On that day, a high school-aged Joe Satriani, when he learned of Jimi Hendrix's death, quit the football team and decided to dedicate his life to the guitar. And obviously, Joe Satriani has been at it for He literally ages. quit the football. I was going to ask you about this. Like, he legitimately quit sports that day he, he quit the football team and just dedicated himself to the guitar and now we've had joe satriani for i mean just talking about his solo albums let's say like 35 years give or take now i look at that and i say i think that was a worthwhile trade we lose jimmy hendrix we gain joe satriani and i know that's an unpopular opinion because of the worship of jimmy hendrix and I get why. I didn't even like Jimi Hendrix that much. Not that I didn't like the song. I mean, everybody likes Purple Haze and All on the Watchtower and all that stuff. But there's definitely a lot of worship for Jimi Hendrix. And I'm not discrediting him at all. I do understand it because once I learned how to play Jimi Hendrix stuff on the guitar, I realized that he, he really is special in that he combined so many different things that hadn't been done before stylistically and channeled them into rock guitar. And it's been so insanely influential. That is what my people will say. You better recognize. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but there's there are a whole lot of others. You know, maybe B.B. King, maybe in terms of influence. But I always thought that there there's the element of, OK, so. Jimi Hendrix dies and everybody wonders what could have been, what would he have done? Apparently he was moving to more towards jazz based on the things he was writing and playing and according to people who were around him. That's what he was interested in before he suddenly passed away. And I have to look at it, and forgive me for maybe sounding a little too pragmatic, but when you look at his contemporaries, 
when you look at Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, the Yardbirds three, no, but the, like the people who who were contemporaries of Jimi Hendrix, they're still alive, they're still around, and people aren't all about the music they've been making for the last decades even. I'd say people, maybe the last time as far as the, let's say a mainstream audience is concerned, because rock was certainly mainstream in the 60s and 70s and beyond, but as far as a mainstream audience is concerned, the last time people probably cared about anything Eric Clapton did was when he did an album with B.B. King, which was 20 years ago in 2000. But as far as Jeff Beck, or as far as Jimmy Page, they'll go back to their stuff from that era. They'll go back to Led Zeppelin, but they're not going to talk about The Firm or Jimmy Page's solo stuff. Same with Jeff Beck. They will look at the stuff he did in the Yardbirds or some of his early solo stuff from the 70s, and that's kind of it. So I feel like if Jimi Hendrix were still alive, yeah, he'd be worshipped for the music that we already have, and that's it. Even 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 the stuff with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page when they went off and did their solo stuff and their, their couple albums that the two of them did together. Right. Everyone went back to it like, oh, it's going to be a Zeppelin reunion, and it's not. It's it's something completely different. And it didn't sound like Led Zeppelin, so some people are disappointed. Yeah. Like, I, I remember that. I remember they did the Walking into Clarksdale album when I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe that a was, junior. And yeah. people were kind of just like, oh, this isn't, it doesn't sound like Led Zeppelin. Right. And there was, I'm not going to say overall people were disappointed. People were happy to see Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were playing together again. But overall, I don't know. That's why I just look at, you know, for, for what we got, uh, the wealth of stuff we get from Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he still has an album come out once a year. So <laughs> Finding stuff that he recorded. Well, that's it. He, there is so much stuff there, and there were so many things that were unreleased that were completed songs or cover songs or whatever, you know, things that have come out over the, the decades from the, uh, the Hendrix estate. I think, well, he gave us almost all of probably what he would have given us during his, uh, his, his peak in terms of popularity and the stuff people would go back to in the same way people still compare or I should say uh, admire Clapton for cream to a degree for his MTV unplugged performance because of how big a deal that was. I mean, that and Tony Bennett were kind of what put MTV unplugged on the map Um, and then Nirvana a little bit later. But overall, I feel like everybody looks at the music that they made at that period anyway, and just says, well, that's, what we like the most, so that's it. So I don't feel like we, I mean, it, it'd be interesting as a what-if scenario. What would we have gotten from Jimi Hendrix if he had been alive, uh, even another 20 years? But people would still go back to that stuff that we all know. Anyway, that's 10 songs everybody knows. So I know it's unpopular, and I know that, I know Joe Satriani, as Andrew mentioned to me, Joe Satriani and Jimi Hendrix are two different type of guitarists, but I feel like for the, the wealth of material we've gotten from Joe Satriani, thinking we couldn't have had that, but we get... The, the Hendrix heyday, so to speak, and we get all the stuff Satriani's done, which I still love. I still think he, he cranks out awesome albums. And uh, it's not all the same stuff he was doing in the 80s either. It doesn't all sound the same. I think it was worthwhile. It all sounds good. Like, you can find at least two or three songs from every album he's done and be like, oh, yeah, this guy's amazing. Totally. And, and he's definitely kept... Uh, I mean, you know Satriani's style when you hear it. He's very... Uh, He's distinctive, yeah. Crowd, um, but even within that niche that he's put himself in, he's uh, still it, it's still good. It's not like it's not like Cannibal Corpse, for instance, where it's like you know you're getting the same album every album. Yeah, you know, like it's the same <laughs> goddamn thing. Right. Right. If you like consistency, Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> like, 
And I mean, ACDC, the same thing. They've been accused yeah, of making there you go. Album. Same. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. And even that, you know, there's a band that's been around forever. And yeah, they still sell it. But people want to hear the hits. They want to hear the songs they know from 40 years ago or more. It's Rush not the you know, same way. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, I feel like in, in the case of a band like Rush, because the fans are so uh, so fervent that they actually are up for hearing whatever it is. But on on the flip side of that, for a band that has a super hardcore fan base like Iron Maiden, when they did their tour on two th- in 2006 for the uh, A Matter of Life and Death album, they played the whole album. And then I think they finished up with Number of the Beast and Hollow Be Thy Name or something. And people were kind of disappointed. And Maiden's got a hardcore audience. But apparently yeah, yeah. people still just wanted to hear the same songs that the they hear stuff. every tour. Yeah. And, and, you know, listen, Maiden can thankfully go out and do the the uh, history of Iron Maiden tours where they can play, you know, a certain periods of stuff. You know, like they did an early years tour when they toured on Ozfest and uh, they did Somewhere Back in Time tour, which Jack and I saw. Um, e- even the tour Sherry and I saw last year was Legacy of the Beast, which was obviously all old material. They weren't pushing in the n- new album. Even then, a band like that, where there is an audience that's really up for, like, what are they doing next and really is looking forward to a new album from them, when they played a new album in its entirety, didn't go over as well. So it's weird. It's all the more reason why you can't really, you can't guess what audiences are going to want or what they're going to be into. Well, fans definitely come and go, and it's all about influence, too. Like I I think I was talking to you about that uh, with Janis Joplin. Like Janis Joplin is another one we lost early in in life. Yeah, she's and, in the twenty seven uh, club, right? Club or twenty eight club? Yeah, twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven. But you know, Joni Mitchell is around the same era, and do we recognize Joni Mitchell now? Not necessarily. Um, it's kind of one of those things where people give their flowers after they're gone, kind of scenario. Yeah, you can kind of appreciate that. Um, Jerry Garcia is another one. I really didn't know much about the Grateful Dead until after Jerry passed away, unfortunately. But well, I think that's uh, just because of age. He had a heart. He had a heart attack. No, um, no, no, no. I mean us. Our, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's true too. I think he died in '89 or something. So we, we yeah, I, I don't. So I can't imagine a lot of kids. None of us were old enough to really get the Grateful Dead's music, understand what a jam band was. Right. Right. No. We wouldn't have been listening to that at, well, in my case, eight years old. You all would have been in diapers. Exactly. Though. It was Disney at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was uh, under the sea. That, that was the, the extent of our musical yeah, knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, even later on in life, we, I mean, I don't think people necessarily recognize Grateful Dead now as much as they recognize it that the Jerry, like, I always hear about Jerry's influence. I never really hear about the whole band per se, and how they've influenced culture. I mean, I may be wrong, but I mean, that's how I've kind of looked at it. Well, they're, they're another interesting case in that they, they're insanely unique because they have a dedicated audience and there's still the, was it the Dead and Friends tour or something like that? I know, I think it's Phil Lesh goes around and does a bunch of, tour Dead and Company, I think is what they call it. And yeah. uh, yes. They'll, yes. they'll tour with different members of the band, past members, or they'll have people tour with them like John Mayer. And they will, they just, I mean, the Grateful Dead fans are showing up. I don't think as many, you know, your body is a Wonderland fans are showing up for the Dead and Company tour as, you know, <laughs> as Grateful Dead fans. So in a case like that, it's interesting in that they, they're, they're kind of just there for the music. I mean, Grateful Dead doesn't have, I mean, not they don't have some recognizable songs, but people aren't exactly showing up for the hits. 
I feel like they're definitely up for whatever it is they can. It's you know, an experience. The show. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of those bands that you go and you experience. It's not a band that you go and like, like Iron Maiden or Metallica or something where you're going for the well-known stuff. You're, you're going there to see the show. Oh like, yeah. Almost, like, like kiss almost, I guess you'd say where it's like, yeah, we Chris and I, you and I have talked about uh, kiss all the time about their out, their studio albums suck. <laughs> well some but of like, them are good there's a lot of duds in there in like my their opinion. live show is what made them it's the spectacle yeah absolutely yeah. so I, I i think that that's specifically when you're dealing with a jam band like the grateful dead or dave matthews or um uh disco biscuits or any of any of those guys mm-hmm. it, it's more fish. Of the, <laughs> that's a prime right? example the oh yeah fish the, there you go. yeah <laughs> those who inherited the Dayful, grateful dead's throne i mean they really did yes absolutely I mean, and again, don't get me wrong. Those guys are amazing musicians. Yeah. But people are going for the experience. They're not going to yeah, hear. They're going for the overall experience of, you know, whether it's drug induced or not, uh, of, of feeling the music. Yeah. They... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I used to love going to jam band sessions. Like, I mean, I used to love going to Mars Volta when they were a thing back in the day. And it wasn't necessarily because the studio albums, like, spoke to me it was just because yeah it's like the that that is music that moves you you know there aren't really absolutely yeah well yeah there's definitely that difference between you know the live show and then the album i mean i would go say i'm not a huge kiss fan there's a lot of kiss stuff that i do not a lot there's kiss stuff the stuff that i like i really like and the stuff that i don't like i just don't i I just can't listen to (laughs) what's that it's like meh yeah Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I think, wow, I can't believe people bought this. But at the same time, that's the power of popularity. You know, once upon a time, people are like, I love music from The Elder. I can't wait to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Sure you do. But yeah, for as far as a spectacle, absolutely. And, you know, thankfully, there are those bands that can tour on a catalog like Kiss or Journey or Def Leppard or even ACDC. Even if they're putting out newer albums, they still have that catalog where they can play these big shows. I mean, that geez, that's what the entire stadium tour was going to be. This past summer with Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett. It's not because anybody's pushing new albums. It's like Jack said on the show recently, just pressing the nostalgia button and everybody's going to show up. Absolutely. But don't we do that with everything, though? You know, oh, um, for sure. I, in, in response to your question, if Jimmy was alive today, yeah, I don't think that people would have taken those influences and made Jimmy like the idol. Like he is a guitar idol. Right. You know, um, but I do feel like he would he will still definitely have an impact. I don't think it was just because of his his death. Um, it's it's the same thing we can apply to everybody. You know, you mentioned B.B. King. That's another great example. Like, I don't know if you can name one person from an era that has consistently been. Mm, that's made that's the downtime right you know? that's that's maintained their popularity no that yeah there's nobody you can name you can't name that in any field where uh taste is subjective you can't say that for movie stars you can't say it for bands or singers yeah everything in terms of popularity there's that peak and then you know maybe you can ride it out but everybody has their plateaus absolutely but when it comes to Jimi hendrix i'll, I'll give you a prime example prince i've mm. heard more about prince in the last four and a half years than i heard in the previous 20 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, now all of a sudden everybody wants to suck off Prince because he's dead and talk about how great he is. And, you know, the, all the archive releases are coming out and these special editions. And now people are going nuts for Prince. But Prince was putting out an album a year for the last fucking 10 years of his life. And he really, he was a, he was he was a machine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was that album. He he put out a triple album. Only two of the discs were him, but that was available uh, only at Target. I think it was yeah. around two thousand eight, and it was. I remember that Black Friday. It was like four ninety nine. You know, and <laughs> meanwhile, like, nobody bought it at the time. Nobody was so hot oh, on Prince. Like Lotus flower. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Lotus flower. Um. Oh man, was it uh, music? I have it because I. I Lotus Flower, and then it was like three months. I mean, then it was the other band. It was Bria, Bria Valentine, I think was her name. Yes. Um, who, who had, yeah, her disc was in there. I think she was his girlfriend at the time. But like, there's an example, or, you know, like when, uh, what was it, Musicology prior to that, and then uh, 3121. So he was releasing an album a year for a long time, and even uh, other albums that now have gotten recently reissued that people probably didn't buy, like the Rainbow Children. I mean, there are a lot of albums that people just. It's not that they weren't available. It's not that he wasn't putting out stuff, but people became way more interested after he died. And look, I'm not saying that there's Even anything Michael wrong with Jackson, it. If you want to go that vein. Yeah, Even exactly. Michael, Michael Michael Jackson didn't have a, a full-on hit for a long time. Yeah. I mean, since Dangerous, which is what, 92, 91? No, it's, it's black and white. Butterflies. Black and white, because like black and white, like that was mainstream because like he had the Simpsons like that that was the premiere you watch the simpsons and at the end of the end of the episode that's when michael jackson had his video right yeah you that's know. true it was a, the premiere I, invincible did well it's just yeah it was clouded with a whole bunch of other stuff obviously during yeah. that time but uh, i don't think anyone can name a song anniversary proves that he was still popular i mean this is it was going to be a global scale, you know, tour, but yeah, his death really did bring attention. I'm trying to think even now, like I was thinking about Tina Turner, Tina Turner has been around for decades at this point. And her resurgence right now is her Broadway tour. Right. Well, she's she's retired from performing, but there's, but it's a, it's a Broadway story of her life. Oh yes. 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 I saw that. Yeah. And so now more people are attracted to her again, you know, and, and she's in so, her 80s. The, so. the talk of her legs is going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they were incredible legs. <laughs> we watched, what did we watch? A concert from like 98 or something like that? It was a few years ago that we yeah. watched it together. And I thought, even at that point, you know, she's around 60. I thought, mm, well, she's held up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I can see she's still got those legs. So, Chris, did you ever meet Veronica's father? No, I didn't. Unfortunately, I at the okay. point when we were hanging out before I moved to California to go to school, that's when we started hanging out again around like oh five, and then I left in oh six, and he passed away at the end of that year. Because that was the one. Because I mean, he was the, he was that tell it to your face kind of thing. Tell it to your face, like racist comments didn't matter. Mm-hmm. But he would always talk about Tina Turner's legs. Oh yeah, always talk about <laughs> Tina. He's like he's like I wish they were wrapped around my face. I'm like George, stop it. <laughs> This old German white guy, you know, right. talking about that. I'm like, stop it. I'm trying to remember who it was that uh, Craig Ferguson talked about it in his in his book. Was it? Boy, I don't know if it was uh, Lena Horne or Diane Carroll. I can't remember who it was, but he said his father. He could tell his father was wildly attracted to her, but you know, being of a certain age, <laughs> you know, that wouldn't. And there weren't a whole lot of black people in Scotland either at the time. But uh, he said he thinks his dad definitely would have been 
<laughs> was highly attracted to, to black women, but just couldn't have pursued them at that time, even if they were right. around. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like there, there are a lot of those exceptions where you can look at just like, well, there's, you know, <laughs> you can't deny That's a great a pair of legs. example right there. <laughs> And maybe she still has them, but she's retired from performing. And, and that, that's a good that's a good segue. Um, I Chris, I asked you this question over text before we start we started the show. Um, the ZZ Top documentary is now on Netflix. Yes, uh, the little band from Texas. Yeah. Um, I just watched it the other day or so, like maybe two three days ago, and I didn't realize how musically inclined all three members are. Oh like, yeah. It, it, they always yeah. came across. They always came across to me as just kind of one of those bands that, like, they got together and they did the bar scene and that's it. But like, Billy Gibbons, like he he knows the guitar. Oh yeah. Like, maybe he's not a virtuoso like a Petrucci or or a Satriani, but like you go up to him and be like, "Yo, I need you to do a song and see," mm-hmm. and bang. Right. He's a scholar. Yeah. He treats the guitar like it's a body. He does. Yeah. He does. He does. And, and 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 watching that documentary, seeing those guys go, you know, go through what they went through and everything like that, and like the fact that Billy Gibbons didn't have a beard for a good portion of the beginning of their uh, yeah, bands. Through, through, for like the first ten years, they he didn't have a beard and just yeah, I'm like, it's like no, that's not Billy Gibbons. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I always laugh when I see young pictures of Billy Gibbons because I thought, wow, he looks so much younger. He doesn't look like he doesn't look like Billy Gibbons, right? Yeah, he's and he hasn't aged since he's had the beard. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's he it. hasn't. It's that look. He just has it that is. look. It really is. But that is a great documentary. I definitely recommend everybody check that out. And then all the stuff that that beard went through. Yeah, um, with addiction and everything. All the drugs. Mm-hmm. Where he just he just openly talks like, "Yeah, I tried heroin." Like, sure. <laughs> Why <okay>. not? <laughs> yeah, that little old band from Texas. If you have a Netflix subscription or access to one which everybody kind of does definitely check that out that's worthwhile i was only disappointed in that here's a band that's been going for 50 years i mean we literally saw them in september celebrating their 50th anniversary and uh the the documentary came out last fall and i thought it was going to be about their entire career i was kind of disappointed that it stops with eliminator around 83 just because i was hoping it was going to be a career retrospective because there was so much now those early days there's a lot of stuff in there and um i mean in the case like there's the twisted sister documentary which i think is also on netflix um is great but it stops when they get signed to a major label so it's gonna end up i mean it's supposedly gonna be a multi-part affair and iron maiden's done that too with uh, the history of iron maiden but um i was kind of hoping that it was going to be a longer documentary that was going to cover kind of more of their career like the rush documentary that's one of the reasons i love that so much because it literally went up to the point when it was made. I mean, it didn't touch on maybe every single album, every single well, tour, every it, it, single landmark in their career. See who did you see who produced the uh, ZZ Top documentary? Yeah, same, same dude. Uh, Sam, uh, what's his name? Sam Dunn. Sam it's, Dunn. It's the, That's it. Yeah, Sam Dunn. Be- the bangers. Uh, the guy who did the metal, metal evolution, and all those other things. Met, had bangers journey. Uh, yep. Journey. He did the Alice Cooper documentary. He did as well. He did Iron Maiden's Flight Six 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 documentary. He did. Uh, I, no, he didn't do Lemmy's. No, he didn't. There's there's a show, though, he's hosting. I saw I think it's on Canadian television. I recently well, he saw had that. the one show on VH1 called Metal Evolution, which you can get all. I think it's 12 episodes and then they have a 13th episode, which wasn't aired because of the content. And 
he has a YouTube series where he like it's not just him. He's got other guys working for him now that he like reviews albums and they talk about the history of the bands and stuff like that. Mm. It's in it, it again. If you're an anthropologist and you're really into music, th- that's literally what this guy's life is right now. Yeah, I need to check that out because, uh, frankly, I haven't even seen his Al Cooper documentary, which I would be interested in. And it's one of those where apparently it's it's told through, which is which is unique. Um, I mean, not so unique anymore. I think at the time it was something that I thought was very, very novel. It's told through video and pictures and I think maybe a little bit of animation. You never actually see any of the people on screen, any of the people who they interview, the, you know, the members of the Alice Cooper band and Alice himself and everything. And actually, the Oasis documentary was like that. And that was another one. Like there's an Oasis documentary called Supersonic, which was on Amazon Prime forever. Oh, that one's great. And um, I don't think... Maybe it's on Netflix now. I mean, Netflix has become like the the hub for documentaries, uh, which is great because I enjoy a good documentary. Um, so I'm sure you can find it. You got to watch the spin on all of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously, but, um, though, like you, you know, people go into documentaries and they assume that it's it's partial, and they're not. There's very like just you know what is it forks over knives and things like that, where it's like you know what you're you should know what you're getting into. This is right. not a hundred percent fair to everyone well that's that's one of the reasons why i like documentaries when they're kind of independently produced and in the case of like this oasis one they didn't produce it it was somebody who kind of came with the idea or like metal headbangers journey same thing yeah. it wasn't any one band it was these this group of guys who wanted to make a documentary about it and then reached out to the various people um on the other side of that when you have something like um the eagles documentary the history of the eagles which is great and another one i'm pretty sure is on netflix as well it is really, really good, but they produced it themselves, so it feels a lot like a victory lap, except for Joe right. Walsh and what a mess he or, was during or the Or a 80s. biopic like Bohemia Rhapsody. Yeah, exactly, where it's just, it's, we're playing the hits and not just the music. We're doing all Listen, the, like, Bohemia celebration. Rhapsody was great. It was a great movie. I know, people love it. I still it haven't seen it. Of, it was full of inaccuracies and, you know. Well, that, well yeah. yeah. I mean, that's there's a lot I, of stuff done for films. Live that live a part for me makes the whole movie. Like I, you know, almost, I wanted to see almost, for that. I was almost frame for frame. I don't get it though. We can watch Queen perform the Live Aid concert. Why do we want to see a bunch of actors reenact it? I don't understand why people love that Live Aid performance in Bohemian Rhapsody. Queen did it. You can watch it. Well, why I, do we want to see reenactment? <laughs> but it's okay. It's all right to see uh, other people perform. yeah i think it it, yeah i think it goes along with the fact like i just said and like how sherry's saying is like how closely they mimic it whereas you take other historical events and the actors will just warp it completely oh of course it was it was definitely played honestly and and imitated beat for beat yeah in in basically every way i think that's the the fascination that everyone has with, with specifically that scene is but, that how how accurate it was? Well, I think people like us who were nerds in in certain ways are kind of fascinated by that element. But I feel like people who didn't know about that were just blown away about like, man, that live eight scene. Yeah, that really happened though. You can watch it. There's so many yeah. people who do. I've heard enough people who talked about the movie. I, I, I'd say skip live eight and go to Wembley. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking amazing. Watch, watch the Wembley. You know when he when he comes out in, in full Queen regalia. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that audience. See, and Veronica, Veronica had never seen any of the Queen live stuff. So her first experience was the Bohemian Rhapsody live aid. And I showed her the other stuff. Like, I think there was a, I think they had, oh no, I saw it. I found it on YouTube. Um, the Wembley 
uh, performance. Mm-hmm. Someone uploaded the entire thing. Ah. I, I cast that to the TV. I'm like, just watch this. <laughs> it's, you, you know, 90% of the songs anyway. It's Queen. Come on. Of course. Even the songs you don't know, you're watching them and you're like, this is this is amazing. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, from from that standpoint, I like it. And listen, just because of the fact it was kind of all, you know, like I said, playing the hits in terms of what was presented, you know, the, the best known stuff and like everything just fell into place for us. That part of it, I was kind of like, ah, OK, because I saw the first like 20 minutes of it and I thought, OK, th- all this is kind of plotted out very, very kind of conveniently. Whereas I was much more interested in the Elton John biopic rocket man because i thought okay this is going to be a little more raw it's going to be r-rated and not that not that just because you can have nudity and say the word fuck it doesn't mean it makes a better movie but it was just gonna it was gonna show the the ugly side and frankly i mean that's the stuff i would have wanted to see if bohemian rhapsody was rated r and was a more raw look at them i mean if they they showed parties with you know midgets walking around with trays of cocaine on their heads like i wanted to see that because that's the stuff that happened you know to queen and that's the stuff i want to see so the fact that elton john was willing to to get into the dirt in his organic and and open right and then there's and then ironically the motley croom film the dirt which is just like a hallmark movie it's awful uh, yeah. no nobody nobody watch it that is trash no that that sucked that really really sucked wasn't that like machine gun kelly playing tommy lee or something? yeah yeah and, and and a bunch of other dudes but it's like it's as much as it's called the dirt there isn't any actual dirt going on except it's just like yeah man such and such a manager kind of messed us around and like you know did vince quit the band did we fire him i don't know but he was out of the band and then things sucked and as soon as and magically at the end of the movie vince rejoins the band and everybody's life is no longer shitty like it was just really 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 lame and for something for a band like motley Crue, who is so insanely candid in their book the dirt i thought okay this is a victory lap and this is you know we got to get people interested in our catalog yeah um I, I, when it, I was excited for it when it was going to be a theatrical movie. And then when it went to Netflix, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe they figured there's not saying, a market. So you're saying for it. Rocket Man is good? Yes, absolutely. I still haven't seen that one yet. She loved Rocket Man. I, I, I like it three times. Yes, I loved it she so saw much. it in the theater three times. She's You're getting a little choppy, so I'm, just, I'm not repeating you for any other reason than technical um, reasons. Um, yeah. I like the narrative parts of it, but there are, it, it does play in a lot of ways like a musical where in the middle of something, it will break into song. And I get the idea that it's kind of, you know, there's a fantastical element where this is maybe how things were going on in Elton John's head. But that part kind of took me out of the the narrative part of the movie, where all of a sudden people break into song like they do in a traditional music, in a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Uh-huh. And it was just kind of surprising to have that moment of, you know, a, a several moments where like the story's moving along and then we're going to have a four minute song. I mean, it's worth it's worth watching world. Like, I totally got that. I mean, it's one thing if you don't like musicals, which I I think that's where that took Chris out of that element. But if you do, it kind of blends it all together. And the songs that they make or play during those pieces make sense. They're not in chronological order or anything. But if he's um, talking about the despair he felt with um, his dad not loving him. And then they break into I want love. Right. You know, it definitely helps move the story. So I, I I love that aspect of it. But I also love musicals. So Right. Well, to be fair, <laughs> I don't I don't hate musicals, but if it's a musical that stars the Muppets, like if the Muppets perform Rocket Man, then I'm in. 
Right. You know, if there's a scene where, where Kermit's having gay sex with Fozzie, I'm in. Like, that's fine. Of course you would be. Of course I would be. So it's not that I hate musicals. It's just it's the South Park movie or yeah, you hated them. I say you don't like them as much. So. I just, for, in, in that case, I would I would have felt the straight up narrative would have just held more water for me. Like how it opens. The opening of the movie is great. And I, I don't even want to talk about it. But like the opening scene, literally how it starts is like, oh, this is going to be good because it's like they are totally going to get into dirt. And again, not just because it's rated R, but Elton John was as much as he had a hand in the movie. He wasn't shying away from the. The bad the stuff, the controversial stuff. Yeah, he did. exactly. And I really, really dug that because he a was lot another of times... one that was that was all over drugs and alcohol and everything. Mm-hmm. Right, and and struggled with sexuality in certain ways too. Literally, Elton. Yeah, that that's really weird, especially since he's such an icon now. For for in that respect, you know, you'd well, never would have never guessed that he had to deal with it. Like like look at Little Richard, for instance. Oh yeah, he was rock and roll. Oh, oh, for yeah. sure. In yeah. in every rebellious way possible. Yeah. Pretty and, much. And like growing up, I you know, every kid listened to Little Richard. He, he was on Sesame Street, you know. Oh yeah. He had the flamboyant persona. Did the Magic School Bus theme never... song. What's that? <laughs> Did the Magic School Bus theme song. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. I never I never put two and two together. Well, you wouldn't have thought so just by listening to it. Because huh. it wasn't, you know, good golly, Miss what's her name? <laughs> what's the teacher's name? Miss Miss Frizzle? <laughs> Is it, yeah. Miss Frizzle, sure have a bus. Anyway, uh, no, but the the only, as Sherry and I have said, you know, when it comes to obviously they can't cover anything in a biopic because it's a movie. They can't tell the entire story. Documentaries, I would love if they did a career retrospective in a lot of ways, or in the case of you know the Iron Maiden series, which actually they're in YouTube are uh, uh, on YouTube in full now because the DVDs are out of print, unfortunately. So if you're interested in the history of Iron Maiden, uh, the three parts are actually up in full on the official band channel. Um, though Those are a lot more candid, and I like how honest they were, again, as opposed to, say, the Eagles documentary, which was, in a lot of ways, felt like a, a victory lap and just talked about the kind of the internal fighting. They didn't really get into the, the let's say, the behind-the-music type stuff that you kind of could get into with a band like the Eagles. Um, still great, but a nice counter to that. After I watched that, people were saying you should check out uh, Don Felder's book as a kind of a counterpoint to what that, you know, kind of what went on during those times, because since he's not in the band anymore and since he's had his his issues with them while he was in the band and since being out of the band, he kind of completes the picture more yeah, in that full story. Yeah, exactly. You get a more full story, which is fine. I, I don't take away from either one of them. I think they complement each other because I don't think Glenn Fry and Don Henley want to be as open about the downs. And and the negativity and the infighting and everything because it's hard. Shock of shocks. Things, being in a band is hard, right? And some things you don't necessarily need the whole story. Like uh, I was going to recommend is also a biopic, but it was a mini series. Uh, Never tear us apart. The untold story of NXS. Yeah, I love that that biopic. Um, it doesn't say everything that happened, but it gives you enough history and it's raw enough that you kind of could tell what was going on during that time. Um, another great one that I like, it's a series for Mike Judge, the creator of um, King Hill and, you know, Beavis and Butthead, Butthead and Office Space and all that yeah. stuff everyone loves. Um, yep. He has a series. It's on Showtime, I believe. Yeah, I believe Am so. I right? It's showtime. Now I got to look it up because um, I think it is. You're pulling secretary dirty this time. I am. Yeah. Jack, Jack's not it's here not, to be info bitch. So it's up to me. It's, 
It's called Mike Just Presents uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. And every season he does a different genre, which I love. That sounds so, really cool. Yeah. So the first uh, series or season, he did a country star, some of the biggest stars in country and all right. the tales. And then the second season he did funk. Oh. Um, yeah. And that was really cool too. Like when it was tales from James Brown and Rick James and Prince and George uh, Clinton and Bootsy Collins like, and more stay yeah. in the time. And- yeah. Oh God. And then mine was was one of my favorite from the first season. So yeah, it's yes. Yeah, and it's, season one is George Jones and Waylon Jennings and Jerry Lee Lewis, oh who is in country. God. But yeah, so hold on. I think I think I hear Veronica clawing at the door. <laughs> it's actually it's actually Cinemax because I remember thinking like, why can I find this show? Okay, there we go, Cinemax. Yeah it's, yeah, it's on Cinemax. They've only done two seasons so far, but it's great. I'm not Patsy. It's Tammy Wynette. I'm sorry. I was confused. Them, but. It's it, it's an cool. awesome awesome show. Yeah, that's a good one to check out. Uh, Chris posed to me, and I think it was the episode of me, you, and Jack. What like what change? What have you what have you done differently? Have you taken on any new music or anything over the quarantine? Um, and I said to Chris that I've found on the one side extreme metal like Cryptosy and and Cattle Decapitation, and this just. <laughs> ridiculous annoy the neighbors metal (laughs) and on the other end i have suddenly gotten into jazz fusion um and uh snarky puppy uh ghost note um snarky puppy yeah snarky snarky the their album lingus i wish i was part of the audience for that because it's just insane like as much as did that follow the album cunny it sounds like elevator music at times but I guess as I get older, I'm starting to appreciate elevator music because of the the um because I'm a boring dad now. Yeah, well that too. <laughs> Hold on, let me get my New Balance and my high uh, socks. Yeah, and cargo my shorts and the shorts. key the keys to your shed. I'm gonna go make crisscross patterns in my lawn with my lawnmower. <laughs> I, I think I said it to Chris in the other episode, but like the uh, the drummer, at least for the Lingus uh, album, because I know they they change members often. Except for the ba- the basis the, is the actual uh, foundation of Snarky Puppy. Yeah. He's he's the main member, um, but they had a drummer Lionel Lewis. This man is a is ridiculous, and like you can listen to metal all day and you can say that they're fast and they're technical and they're they're precise, but then you listen to some of these jazz drummers like Lionel Lewis or even Buddy Rich, okay. and you're like you have to understand the fluidity of it. And how they can, how, like we said before, the music, you feel the music as opposed to just yes. hearing it. Right. Lionel did a uh, a thing with uh, Zildjian because he's sponsored by them. So there's a whole, you can go to the Zildjian Live, I believe that's what, I don't know if it's Zildjian Live or if it's Zildjian's YouTube page, but they have two seasons of a thing called Zildjian, Zildjian Live and they have different drummers come in and do songs that, focus on them and, and just to watch them operate is is the best word i can think of is just fantastic to me awesome yeah i <laughs> i don't know quarantine has had me all over the place it depends on what kind of emotion i'm feeling because uh one minute i'm playing like ingve now in the car it's my fault it's true it's, no. it's true. I mean, I listened to him before, like when um, 
when we were in California, but now it's like even more so like, yeah, this I'm grooving, you know. She loves it. To it. I, I absolutely love it. But then in the next minute, I'm like playing um, I don't know, freaking the one one twelve. I don't know. Nineties R and B. She goes back to R, a lot. Which is nineties R and B. I I don't know. So I've been in. So I think my music changes with my moods. <laughs> well, I mean, like that. That's just music for you, though, because like. Yeah. Um, so I started using Spotify and Pandora now. Mm. I I prefer the randomization of songs as opposed to jumping back into my own library, just because I don't. There's bands out there. Uh, uh, even if they've been around for 30 years i haven't heard of them or i haven't heard their music and with spotify you can create your own playlists and everything and what i think is cool is you can have this thing called collaborative play- playlists where i can share the playlist with both of you guys and you can add and subtract songs and whatever oh cool else. that's Make cool. a big playlist it's like making a mix cd for somebody right, yeah. right. that's a, yeah, it is those? well i mean that's yeah that's the modern equivalent i used to do that for people all the time I made many yeah. a mix CDs for people for holiday right, music now we, now or just in general. And other reasons, so we can shove Iron Maiden down our throats. Uh, no uh, other <laughs> stuff, <laughs> except everything except Bob Marley and White Snake. Otherwise, Andrew will listen to most stuff that I will recommend. Those are the... I can't do reggae. I can't. I, can. I, I I get it when it, when it's there. There has to be a, a time and a place for reggae, and it's got to be kind of like sporadic. I can't do reggae. Like channel, what is that? Channel forty two on XM. I I just can't. Is it, it depends. Yeah, like I, I, said, I can't I listen to it all the time either. When I'm in the mood to groove, I will play some. Oh, I'm playing funk then. <laughs> I'm playing. That's every game for me. Collins or Victor <laughs> Wooten. I got back. I got back into the um the album Thunder. Uh, it's um uh Marcus Miller, Victor Wooten, and oh right, and 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 and. Oh my God. Oh my God. Just can shoot me. Why can't Stanley Clark? That's it. <laughs> I'm thinking too. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, but those three playing bass together on one album, it, it's just so good. So good. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird what quarantine would do. There's a part of me that loves the nostalgia. Like you said, that comfort food kind of feeling. Um, but then I try to listen to new music. Like I did, finally listened to the new Lamb of God album from this year and one of the songs Checkmate I love. I'm like, oh wow, this actually sounds like really good. Because <laughs> I, I had to take a break, you know. My only the only song on that album that I'm a real big fan of is Memento Mori. Oh, the first the first song on the front on the album. Is it really? I didn't I don't even <laughs> have the album. I can buy it. I just um, get it on Spotify. Now. It was actually it was actually their their second single was memento more okay. but, but i like i like the the lyrics of it honestly yeah. uh, if you if you read the, read the lyrics never mind the screaming the, the lyrics are one of my favorite uh pieces that he did is that going to be another tattoo it might <laughs> I can see that. so memento mori the phrase memento mori is actually going to be my uh my phrase for my year uh, in the uh, as Chris puts it, the Square and Compass Club or, or Square and Protractor Club. What does it translate to? Memento Mori, Memento Mori means remember you are mortal. Ah, uh, remember you will die. So the 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 legend so right up goes, Andrew's alley. Yeah, the the the, <laughs> the, 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 le, the legend go the legend goes that 
a Roman general upon victory when he's returning to whatever city it was would have a slave riding with him in the chariot whispering in his ear memento mori pretty much to say like don't let this all go to your head right to humble him you know you're you, this this is don't all humble brag y'all <laughs> um i don't know how true that is but the, again that's just the story that's the myth behind it but the phrase itself is remember mortality i like that um okay yeah. so so something else i wanted to tackle because i've spent a good amount of time thinking about it let me bring up the, the topic of cover songs, but in two parts. Number one, let me give an example and ask if you guys have something similar. I don't like Bob Dylan. I don't like the Smiths or Morrissey um, because of Bob Dylan and Morrissey's singing voices. I, did, I can't stand them. But I like, but when I hear covers of theirs, I tend to like them. So is there anybody you guys can think of where you're not a big fan of the original singer, but when you've heard their, when you've heard other people cover their music, you can appreciate it more. I mean, just a fun cover off the top of my head. Sure. The 99 red balloons. <laughs> just, a, just a fun one, you know? Right. I believe, I believe that was Goldfinger who did it. I don't know if it was yes. Goldfinger or me first in the Gimme Gimme. It was Goldfinger. It was Goldfinger, right? Yeah. yeah. I prefer the, the, the cover over the original. Oh, okay. Well, and that, and, and that actually is, well, Sherry, do you have something? Somebody offhand? Do you think I of? have a list <laughs> okay let's hear it all right so speaking of me first in the gimme gimmies i love their version of hello uh which is originated by of course lionel richard richie <laughs> i can't talk but yeah i love their their version is very punk is very fast compared to like cheesy i don't know r&b i love aretha franklin's version of eleanor ribby from the beatles i prefer mm. that heard that oh it's good i love it it has more soul to it uh even though um the Beatles but you, are you saying four are... british white guys don't have as much soul as aretha franklin <laughs> <laughs> how dare you <laughs> that's a that's a biopic i'm interested in just to just to circle back for a second to biopics i am interested in the aretha franklin biopic i think that's that yes. could be good because yes. they got they got someone who's a genuine singing talent you know oh, in, really? in jennifer hudson to play aretha franklin ah, so okay. i'm like all right i'm in because she can act and she can sing. So I'm I'm up for it on that yeah. level. I don't know if it's going to be PG-13 or R or whatever, but like there there's a story that I'm happy to see told as well. But anyway, back to the covers. Um, Proud Mary, obviously. I like Tina Ike's version compared to uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Totally. I actually prefer, even though I'm a Prince lover, Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. Mm. I don't think I've sense. ever heard Prince's version of that song. I thought that was Sinead O'Connor's well, song. Well, it, it originally was. He wrote it, and then the the version that he originally did, which was never on an album or anything, because he did, he did that with a bunch of songs, like Manic Monday by the Bangles, he wrote, and he has a version of, but he never released it. Now that he, stuff's been released. Yeah, he well, he released it on his B-sides in 93, so yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, yes, okay. he did. Oh, it's on, I, on that album. So. I, I thought the whole hype around like the originals album that came out last year was like, finally, Prince's versions of all this. <laughs> I know they put out Nothing Compares to You as a single. They put it on as a seven inch single and digitally released it. Mm. Um, but I thought that was literally the first time it was available at all. Okay. And uh, another Beatles cover. I, I don't know. I, I guess I like other people's covers of Beatles. More, I guess so. so. Uh, but we can work it out. 
from Stevie Wonder. It's very funk. He does have a good ver. He does do a good version of that. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Shouldn't you yeah. be writing these down, Andrew? <laughs> You're gonna make like, Andrew I'm, a Spotify playlist the, to share. Going in the mental Rolodex. Uh, Jeff Buckley's uh, Hallelujah. Oh, I fucking hate that song. Jeff Every Buckley? fucking version of it. <laughs> There's certain versions of it I can tell. I feel like it got fucked out a couple years ago. It did. It got fucked out because everybody thinks it's a Christmas song, and it's not. Just because it's called Hallelujah. (laughs) It's a song about heartbreak. It's a cold and it's a lonely Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. I I hate that people. I like Jeff Buckley's version because I feel his emotion. Right. No. Okay. I agree with that. And another guy who, like, who knows what would have happened. Everybody loves his, his album. But had he not passed away after that one album. Who knows mm-hmm. what would have happened? So that album's revered. True. Similarly. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I got a few more. Uh, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You as opposed to. Yeah, that is one of those, which is my next question, by the way, as Sherry's already kind of gone on because I gave her the, the quick uh, rundown. <laughs> but and Andrew, you knew about this anyway, but uh, cover songs that you feel like are superior versions to the original. No. I, 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 I know you, you I know you have a few, but uh, we'll, well let, I mean, let Sherry finish right her off, list. Right off the bat, the first one, like I told you in the in the text. Um, hurt Johnny Cash's version of hurt. Right. That is, I, it, I love even, even Trent Reznor said that it's better than what he wrote. Right. There's so much. And, and, and the way that the two of them sing it, if you've heard both versions, nine inch nails version and Johnny Cash, it feels like it's two different stories. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, like you, when Trent does it in nine inch nails, you can tell that it's a, it's a drug addict and he's talking about, you know, literally putting the needle into his arm and stuff like that you hear johnny cash it sounds like he's an old man and he's dying yeah and like it's good, an, and that's goodbye i agree it's it's an old man looking back on his life and yeah. it's totally yeah. different yeah um that that right there that is number one for me it's the best it's better than the original cover is it the best cover of all time because that's that's another thing i've kind of been batting around when i was thinking about cover songs that i like and are they are there any that are better because there's a few here. My my contenders for best, and there are loads of them. Obviously, all the ones uh, you said, I would throw in Respect as well, because that was an Otis Redding song before. It was an Aretha Franklin song. So, respect. Oh, what about um, um, With a Little Help? From that's what friend. I was going to say. That, that's probably the best cover of all time. Because there's only two ways to cover a song. Imitate the original version or make it your own. Make it your own. And that song was just elevated beyond what the Beatles and not to say they weren't capable of doing it, but it was outside of their realm. It's just, two different. Again, it's just, it's just like hurt where it's, it's two different songs. Exactly. The Sergeant pepper version is the Beatles and it's a great song. I like the Sergeant peppers version, but the other version is so much more full of soul and, and, and life. Right. And and you haven't yeah. lived until you've heard Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem cover it, too, by the way, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we saw at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, th- that's almost three years ago now. Next month's going to be three years. Wow. But yeah, uh, speaking of that, I do have like a few more. So like Metallica Whiskey in the Jar. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I had to listen. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. The Lizzie version is is a cover as well as the double. It's a, it's a classic with Irish. It's a, it's a folk song. folk song. Yeah, isn't it a folk song technically? Like yeah, it's not... but then the Dubliners in the sixties made it popular. Ah, okay. Uh, so is that uh, Marilyn Manson? I prefer his sweet dreams. <laughs> oh God. I do. I'm sorry. That was a good time. Do you, do you prefer his version of Tainted Love too? <laughs> no. 
Oh, I know. Okay. No. Good answer. The Boys of Summer. Oh, yes. Atari. I will back you up on that. The Ataris is so much better. Uh, from, let's see. Deftones. They did a cover of The Curious of Only Tonight We Could Sleep. <laughs> oh, wait. Hang on. Sidebar. Speaking of Cure covers. Now, this is the funniest thing. So, Veronica and Andrew's wedding song, Sherry. I probably told you this. <laughs> Veronica and Andrew's, you know, first dance as a, as a married couple, as husband and wife. Was 311 version of Love Song. By The Cure. Now, Sure. Andrew and Veronica don't like The Cure or 311, so I was just completely bowled over by that. No, I like, no listen, there are a couple 311 songs that I really get behind because they're... they're I really, love that version. It's not, the really, best. It's not better than the original. That, that was our song well before the wedding, so we just decided that, yeah. And I knew it was a cover beforehand. I didn't know which band made it. I, I thought it was like, um, uh, who did Love Will Tear Us Apart? But who whoever did that, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Joy Division. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, uh, it's, I mean, some overlap in in the the time frame. Yeah, of, of and, and it's kind of similar, but it's 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 not. It's the Cure. It's more new wave. It's if yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, the Cure was yeah. all over the way. The Cure sounded like the Buzzcocks when they first came out. Listen to Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> it sounds like the Buzzcocks. Yeah. To yeah. me, yeah. So actually, the Cure evolved into kind of what we what we know them from. But I don't know that that struck me as emo so was- that struck me as so funny. The original emo band, the original goth and emo. Look what they started. Damn it. Love song isn't that great. I just, I'd, get, I'd give up love song if we get rid of goth and emo kids. No, but uh, <laughs> you're dating a, a one who used to be a goth. Kid. I, I listen. I'm still not willing to let go. Even the fact that you're that you're fucking saying Deftones and anything good, I still that's that's unresolved. That, those are irreconcilable differences I with you and I. Was the reason I picked up a guitar. Like <laughs> there you go. Was the reason I broke a CD player once. That's I, bet you did. I have two more though. Um, knocking on heaven's door. I uh, speaking of Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Roses version. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. Even more than the Clapton version. Yeah, the Guns N' Roses gave the same thing. And Live and Let Die is another great example of. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. their version just just brings a whole other, whole other dimension to it. And the Bee Gees wrote a song, "How Can You Mend a Broken Heart," and I love the Al Green's version of it. I ah. cried. Every time I hear Al Green. Oh, who's the name of the dude who does the 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 cover of Black Sabbath's Changes? What's that dude's name? Because Andrew's got to hear that. We got to send oh, him that video. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, I think I have. It's like it's like a soul version. Yes. Right? yes. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome. It's recent too. It's within like the last year or two. Oh, then it's Charles then, Bradley. Is his Charles name. Charles Charles Bradley Bradley Bradley. Okay. Yes. Yeah, everybody check that out if you're listening. Uh, we, I, uh, I I showed Chris that video and that song. I mean, I literally that's another one I cry. I'm like, oh, every time. <laughs> ugly cry, you ugly cry to it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It, it especially hit me after uh, losing my dad. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, that song's been out. I think he covered it in, yeah, 2017 or eight, yeah, or 18. It was, it was, it's really recent. But, but it's great. It. Yeah, and it really it takes on a different dimension, even though that's kind of a a little a little outside what what you would have expected from Black Sabbath in the early seventies. Anyway, like that song yeah, was kind of a curveball. Like anything else they did back exactly then. at the time, it was a curveball. So hearing yeah. it reinterpreted in a way that I'm sure Ozzy wishes he could sing that way, uh, not in a not in a bad way, but I'm sure if he's if he's aware of that version, he probably wishes he could deliver it with the same amount of of. I don't want to say pain, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. Because this Charles Bradley version, yeah, it's it's painful. So, you know, so going since, through changes. We're on the topic of of cover songs. Um, 
Did you, you want to throw guys... out Smash Mouth's I'm a Believer? Is that what you were? Oh, oh okay. No, that is definitely not better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Monkeys fan. She's a like... huge Monkeys fan. <laughs> um, no, but like this trend of of either acapella groups or the changing of the song. What's uh, uh, Brass Against or like Postmodern Jukebox mm-hmm. where they take these very obviously famous songs and they change the style of them to fit a different genre completely. Mm. I think it's great when it's done sincerely like those bands do, as opposed to like Richard Cheese, who did, you know, Down with the Sickness and all those, like, in a lounge style, like a parody. going in there. Oh, of course, but that's what I mean. Like, the the bands you're naming, they're sincere about doing their version of these songs in in the the style they play. When it comes to bands doing stuff like that, I, I love it. There's a fine line between covering a song and it sounding like karaoke, and that's... yeah. Yeah. makes makes or breaks it for me oh totally well the, and, and then there's the point where it's almost just cheesy like some bands will s- put out a cover version of a song i'm looking at you orgy and alien ant farm because if you cover a hit you kind of have a hit already yeah and that's, it worked it was for its time like, well it uh, did i, I mean it ended up being one hit orgy <laughs> Say that again, Andrew. You completely broke I think up. That, I think that was the only song I knew from Orgy. Uh, it's a song almost everybody knows from Orgy and <laughs> Smooth <laughs> Criminals, the only one people know from Alien Ad Farm. Yeah. So it's almost you, you almost can't call them one hit wonders because it's like, well, we tried. But there, there are a handful of those examples. And there are, there are a handful of and there's the Smash Mouths of the world who were just for whatever reason popular. But uh, then there are bands who do it and it, it does help put them on the map like the Black Crows doing Hard to Handle. You know, same thing. You're taking a song that wasn't a hit in the first place and making it your own. And that's what people respond to. So I feel like those examples are unfortunately fewer and farther between. And that's why I want to throw out even the idea of, of cover songs. I mean, hell, most people didn't know or, or certainly the the Generation X audience didn't know Man Who Sold the World before Nirvana covered it. And obviously Nirvana was established already. But that was everybody saying, oh, this not Nirvana song. Mm. No, it's not. So it, you actually do have to go well, back and always song. And it, it, it again, it's in one of those songs where they definitely made it their own, and it's or I should say, Kurt made it his own because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's two different songs. You know, yeah. the, the 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 energy and the feeling behind it. It's a tough thing to do because you're already going in with with so much expectation. I mean, it's weird too when you look back historically. Like all along the Watchtower is obviously a Bob Dylan song. The Hendrix version is way more popular. And yeah. uh, I, again, that's another example. I'd say way better. And uh, at, but at the time, it was almost a contemporary song. And there there isn't really any of that at all anymore. It's kind of weird. I mean, once upon a time, you were covering. I mean, when Eric Clapton covered I Shot the Sheriff, it was a newish song. Mm. Um, and I hate that. Like, that's an example of a cover that's just lousy. I'm not crazy about the, the song anyway. But <laughs> Eric Clapton doing his kind of watered down you know, version of it is like, uh, OK, sure. But now, because there's so few bands and there's so few hits, that I just don't see a whole lot of that happening at all. I mean, you don't. You will see like the what was it they did for a little while? It was like punk goes acoustic, punk goes eighties. <laughs> there were yeah, those kind of yeah, compilations yeah. where it's done, and that's not to say it was done in an ironic way. It could very well have been a um, you know, a, a genuine tribute to those songs. But I don't know. It, it's kind of sad that there are no bands that you can look at modern bands where it's usually very. Where they, they can cover somebody else who has like a recent song that just maybe didn't take off. Whereas so, Once Upon a Time. It kind of kind of falls into this because I the band that was covered, I would think is a one hit wonder. But um 
uh, Zombie. Yeah, who is it who did that version? Because I've heard that a couple of times. Oh, Jesus I Christ. I the name like, of the band. Which, yeah, Cranberries had a bunch of hits. Well, yeah, but like um, Zombie is the one that uh, sticks out. It's it's probably their signature song, yeah. Which is, that's a tough one too, especially when it's a band's most popular song. Like, I have I don't think I've ever heard a cover version of I Want You to Want Me that's actually good. It's uh, Bad Wolves. That, that's yeah. it. Um, and what's really sad about that is um, the lead singer of the Cranberries was still alive when they recorded it, and she was going to go on tour with them mm. to sing it, and then she passed away. Right. Yeah, it is. I, I got to say, I do. I do like their cover of it, in- including the fact they modernize it a little bit by including, yeah. you know, yeah. with, with including drones in it. Right. Yeah, I, I do kind of like that they did make it their own in a certain sense, even though arrangement-wise, it's the same song, but it's also a man singing it. But, no, but it's it's still. I mean, when when they originally did it, it's about the IRA. You know, yeah, it had now, it had a they, meaning they to them. To make it more topical. What'd you say? No, I said that. Yeah, that's that's what it meant to them. It was relevant to them at that time, and obviously now it's a whole different world, and it's more of a global thing. Yeah, you know, now that wars aren't fought as much on the ground as they were on the computer you know, decades ago. Yeah, or or by drones, which is why it was relevant for them to put that in that song. Yeah, I I don't know. There there's so many great cover versions that it's hard. I mean, uh, as far as the best of all time, I'm gonna say with a little help from my friends, the Joe Cocker version, respect, Aretha Franklin's version, "I Will Always Love You" by Whitney Houston. There there are a few that I put up there. "Hurt" by Johnny Cash, I think so because I do think that took it to a place. And, and there's a case of taking a recognizable song and turning it into something else. I don't think it was as good when Johnny Cash covered one because he covered you know U two's one. Um, and he covered, I think Johnny 99, he covered of, of Bruce Springsteen, but yeah, hurt is definitely the one where you look at and say, wow, this is, this is a different story. This is really, really cool. We didn't solve it a hundred percent, but I'd say those are, those are contenders for the top. This is a good topic to throw open to everybody else. What do you think is <laughs> the best cover version of all time? Well, I Comment mean, on the post. What, what this all comes down to in my mind after listening to all this is that. Sherry, you need to go through Chris's songs because he's probably listening to Limp Biscuit's version of Faith right now. <laughs> oh my God! Speaking of oh, speaking of abysmal covers, oh, there's a song that that improves on the original Steel Panther I think we covering. End it on that note, I think that's a good closer. I think you're wrong. Steel Panthers, I want it that way, is better than the Backstreet Boys version. No, never, no, and I love me both. Trust me, but whatever. <laughs> BSB forever. <laughs> and with that, everybody's muted. I want to thank Sherry Bass and Andrew Rizzatella for joining me. If you want to follow them online, you can follow Andrew at Metal underscore Drew on Instagram. You can follow Sherry at SherryBaby09 on Twitter and Instagram. That's Sherry with an IE. And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Abalo and at Chris Sells Out on Instagram. And of course, follow the show at Cape Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And please subscribe, please share, please help spread the word. We do appreciate it, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. That's what we're here to do during the pandemic, and hey, even beyond, whenever that happens. So, until next time, for Andrew Rizzatello and Sherry Bass, who, yes, really are both muted, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment.